Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, a Premier League podcast where we've actually got some football to talk about. Well, the games haven't happened yet, but they are tonight in the Champions League, where Spurs look to build on their good start in the competition when they play Sporting, and Liverpool will try to respond from last week's hammering in Naples when they face Ajax at Anfield. But that will be Liverpool's last game before the international break, as we have more postponements to tell you about. Chelsea versus Liverpool and Manchester United against Leeds are also off due to policing problems. We'll talk about that later in the show, as well as some unexpected transfer news as a bit of a Premier League icon has returned to English shores and someone who isn't such an and someone who's also an icon for the wrong reasons has touched down at Newcastle. We'll talk about that later on in today's show and alongside me on the podcast we've got Matt Pidd and Joel Tudor this morning. How are you boys? Good morning, Niall. Oh good. Good morning guys. I'm glad that we've got some football back because it's been I think it's been a difficult weekend for a lot of people having the football cancelled at short notice. Of course we absolutely understand why with the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. The funeral has been announced for Monday so that will be a national holiday in the UK so just to let you guys know if you are a regular listener to the podcast in line with the rest of the United Kingdom we will not be releasing a podcast on that day that's Monday the 19th of September so just a little note for you guys there and due to the Queen's passing there will also be some more postponed games this weekend due to policing problems we'll get on to that later in the show but first let's talk about the matches that are going ahead and there's a couple tonight involving Premier League teams Liverpool against Ajax and Sporting against Spurs both in the Champions League and let's start at Anfield which is where Liverpool entertain Ajax tonight and Let's be honest, Matt, after they were hammered last week by Napoli and the score was 4-1, but it could easily have been 6 or 7 from, from the you know the chances that I saw Napoli have. Liverpool desperately need a response here, don't they? Yeah, like you said, it could have easily been more. It could have been easily a lot more embarrassing than what it was. Um, it's the six times winners versus the seven times winners tonight. So it's a historic fixture in the Champions League. Um, Liverpool, no Henderson or Robertson, which is a massive loss for them for the way they like to play. And, you know, Mo Salah... Without a goal in his last seven Champions League game, which he, sorry, his last seven Champions League games, which is his longest ever goal drought for Liverpool in the competition, and you know he'll want to end that tonight. And Ajax and No Mugs, they've got 100% winning record so far this season. Um, they're scoring goals for fun, 
So they're going to want to keep that going against a very, very vulnerable Liverpool side. You know, it's amazing with them because they can lose the best players and the culture was unbelievable for them, but they can still carry on like, you know, nothing has changed. There's um, a midfielder for them tonight called Kenneth Taylor, who's one to watch. You know, he's only 19, but he looks a real quality midfielder in the making. Um, he's great with both feet and he knows where the net is, so Liverpool do need to be wary. But they just need to get off to a good start tonight, Liverpool. It's Anfield... It's under the lights in the Champions League. It's off the back of a humbling result against Napoli, like you said. So they're going to want to get off to the best possible start. Ajax are going to have no fear tonight. Liverpool are going to be a wounded animal. And you know what it is with wounded animals. They either fight or they roll over and die. And tonight, I think Liverpool will come out and fight. Like I said, they're missing Robertson, who's a massive loss for them, and Anderson as well. But they've got enough quality in that side to go out and to go and beat Ajax. And the fans are going to be right behind them tonight. It's going to be a cracking atmosphere at Anfield and I expect a, a cracking game of football to go with it. Yeah, two great European clubs. You're absolutely right in that. Liverpool against Ajax. But they were supposed to play Wolves this weekend, were Liverpool. Naturally, that was postponed, as were all of the Premier League fixtures, due to the Queen's passing. Do you think that would have helped them regroup, Joel, after they were pretty much battered by Napoli? And Jurgen Klopp said it was the worst performance he's seen from his Liverpool side since he's been there, which is seven years now. Or do you think it would have been better for Liverpool to have played that game and, you know, got it done against Wolves just to get that Napoli result out of the way? I don't think it would have helped, to be honest. I remember just seeing Jurgen Klopp's press conference and it actually made me laugh because it's the only time I think I've agreed with him in a press conference where he said where the reporter asked him, you know, are you going to lose your match rhythm? And he said, what match rhythm? We don't want to keep that match rhythm. We'd rather lose that. So I don't think it came at a right time. I think it was probably good to have a nice breather to regather his ideas, to really deeply analyse with his analysts and his team of coaches what exactly has been going wrong over the last couple of weeks and just basically regroup and go from there. And I think Ajax is probably the more favourable game for them just because... I mean, don't get me wrong, Ajax is still a good side. Alfred Trudor's still made them into a really tough team despite having basically the whole club gutted out this summer. But with Ajax, they always have a resurgence because they're such a sustainable club in terms of their youth system and their scouting network that they'll never be rolled over for too long. They're just too big in, in, in the Netherlands to actually do that. But at home against them, you would massively favour Liverpool. But again, just like uh, Matt was saying... I think Ajax will be fancying this one more than they ever have maybe in previous months or years just because Liverpool are definitely at their worst right now for such a long time that I can remember. I think the last time Liverpool had such a, a bad spell was that time when you know they lost the 7-2 to Aston Villa and they were really struggling to get any kind of result during that period. And I just think that the Wolves game might have come a game too soon for them because Wolves are in really good form as well themselves and they're looking quite a force. And I don't think uh, their defence would have fancied Diego Costa getting right up amongst them in the first game back. So I think it's a it'll be a really interesting tie, but I would probably favour Liverpool on this one just because I think it's essential for Klopp to start getting that ball rolling in terms of the momentum, which I think is what's killed them a little bit. They haven't been able to get the ball rolling and um, I think it's only going to benefit them having this one week of just complete silence of being able to gather the gather the momentum again. Yeah, Liverpool's game with Chelsea is also off at the weekend. I do wonder whether Jurgen Klopp will be happy with that right now. When asked if these postponements might interrupt Liverpool's rhythm, because of course we know they're a side that like the games to keep coming because they can just 
sort of smash teams and roll them out the way but he said did you see our rhythm against Napoli I'm quite happy that you know that that kind of rhythm has been has been broken and we've mentioned it before when it comes to the Champions League Matt that you can lose your first group game and it will still be all right you've got plenty of chances to get through but this isn't an easy group with Napoli and Ajax as well you know in their way how important is it for Liverpool to get a result here after that heavy defeat last week I mean it's, it's still early days in the group of course but it seems impossible to imagine Liverpool not getting through the group at the start of the season but if they don't get a result tonight I mean that could be a possibility well it's imperative they win tonight absolutely it's not only imperative they win it's imperative that they get a good performance and also not concede because we've seen with Liverpool this season the defence has been absolutely shocking I mean we've seen we've all seen the videos of um, you know Gomez and you know um, Alexander-Arnold against Napoli Klopp will have been drilling them on the training ground to make sure that that never happens again. They were strolling round, they were just watching people running behind, they were trying to play stupid offside traps and it, it just wasn't working. So I think Klopp will have had the time now to get them and talk to them and to drill it into them to make sure that that does not happen again because what we've seen with Liverpool in the past is they've been solid at the back but they've also been great going forward but other than like the 9-0 game against Bournemouth they've not really set it light up at the top neither so it's a crisis at both ends with Liverpool at the moment really and they're going to want to put that to bed tonight but one thing Klopp will not want is to concede they will not want to concede and I mean we, we talk about the amount of games they've played. They played every single game available to him last season and there is such thing as burnout. I mean, I know they got a they got um, a break in the summer and stuff, but it's a lot of football to be played and it's not just the physical toll, it's the mental toll that that would have took on the players, especially losing to Madrid the way they did in the Champions League final, getting pipped to the post by Man City on the final game of the Premier League season. That does take a toll and when you get off to the start that Liverpool have had, I think they've only won two out of five this season. So that is still lingering in the back of their mind. So what they're going to want to do tonight is they're going to want to go and get a good result against Ajax, get a good performance in against Ajax, but first and foremost, get the result and try and keep a clean sheet. I massively agree with you there, Matt, because how frustrating must it be for that Liverpool group to have been so consistent and performed so well and been within what was effectively a couple of kicks away from being one of the best teams to ever do it in terms of silverware. And yet, like you say, they were pipped to the post by Manchester City. They've been so close, but so close counts for nothing in football. You either have to win it or you don't win a thing. That's just kind of how it goes. That must be mentally pretty fatiguing on the players for them to have given their all for so long, seasons now under Jurgen Klopp, and just only come away. I say only come away with one Premier League title and a Champions League but they've been into a couple of finals as well they've won some domestic trophies particularly last season but when you've put in all that effort and then you still see you know Manchester City scooping up all the trophies as much as that causes plenty of glee for you that must be really tough to take as a Liverpool fan yeah absolutely and like I said it's the it's the burnout of it all and I've seen Liverpool fans trying to remain positive on social media and Liverpool fans that I know in, in person you know trying to remain positive but they've said that it's it's so mad because this is probably the the best period they've had for a long time probably since like the 80s kind of thing you know in terms of the where, where they are in in t- challenging for titles but for one premier league and one champions league and that it does sound absolutely crazy but they have come up against the manchester city side under pep guardiola that have been unbelievable especially domestically so it's just one of those things like you said it, it's 
it's it's one kick. Like they, they could have been the quadruple winners last season if Gundogan hadn't popped up with that goal against Aston Villa. If if Vinicius Junior had put Madrid one 0 up against them, you know, in in Paris, it could have been totally different. We could have been talking about the greatest Liverpool side of all time, and it's just it's just one of those things. It either goes for you or it doesn't, and they'll they'll they'll, they'll try and stay as the mentality monsters that Klopp, you know, has had them being quite recently. But they need to start tonight. They really need to get that off the bat tonight. They really need to go up against Ajax, and they need to match them not only just for the the way they play, but for the running because. We've seen it against Napoli. There was, there was, there wasn't there. There was no energy. They looked sapped. They just need to go out tonight. They need to put that behind them now, and just look forward now. That's all they need to do. Forget about what's happened now. Keep looking forwards and just keep going from there. Okay, Liverpool against Ajax tonight. Rangers are also in that Champions League groups, but after defeat to Naples last week, important that Liverpool get the job done against the Dutch side this evening. As for Tottenham Hotspur, they're also in Champions League action, their second group game. After beating Marseille in their opener last week, they've got a chance to make it two wins from two when they travel to Lisbon to take on Sporting Club and a first away game of the season in the Champions League. We know Sporting have got talent, Joel, um, but Spurs should be too strong for them on the whole. What do you think? Yeah, Sporting are in a similar situation to Ajax where they've had a number of their big players leave them in the summer window. So they've had to kind of regroup, dig into the academy again, go into their really good scouting network and start to basically just re-energise the whole squad. And they actually are looking very good this year. Um, they won their last Champions League group game against Frankfurt 3-0 which I was really impressed with just because everyone saw how strong Frankfurt looked after beating Barcelona in the semi-finals last year of the Europa League and then obviously going on to win it and they only lost Kostic which was the main loss their their club captain at left back well, that was the main loss but at the moment they are struggling in the Bundesliga at the moment in 11th place and they aren't looking as consistent as they were last season I don't know if it's purely just because when you're in a you a, a, a European campaign that you're flying in suddenly everything starts to follow through and now it looks like they're, they're getting a little bit of hangover from it but you would say that Sporting versus Tottenham I mean Tottenham at the moment I still don't think they're out of second gear in terms of domestic competition I think that when you look at the players who are actually contributing to them there's a massive glaring omission and that's uh, Song Hyun Min who's still not scored a goal at all this season and when you see that he scored 25 last year and he's still not really contributing to the way that you would like him to I mean I think it'll be scary for other teams when that front three starts clicking again of Kulzevsky, Kane and Son but I think in this occasion and to be honest Tottenham should be pretty happy I think the fans are happy with the group that they got because in previous seasons they've had some really tough groups that have been difficult to get out of and as I mentioned in previous podcasts, I think Antonio Conte is out to prove a lot of doubters like myself wrong when it comes to European competition. Um, and this should be a group that they're able to get out of quite quickly. Spurs, as you say, have returned to the Champions League after a while away. So they want to make a decent start and get through to the knockouts at the very minimum. And Antonio Conte says, Matt, that he's pretty relaxed about the team selection for tonight's game. Is that just simply because they've invested quite heavily in players in the summer and maybe that's a position that he couldn't afford to be in last term with the with the players he had? Yeah, they've obviously they've invested and they've invested not only just in the club, they've invested in the right areas. They've got a fully fit squad tonight apart from Lucas Moira, which, you know, 
having no injuries is an absolute blessing for a manager. But it also can be a curse because, you know, who does he pick? Who who, who does he pick tonight? Does he go with the same team that beat Marseille 2-0 in the last game or does he try and change it up a bit? Look, winning is a habit and it's a good habit to have. And like I said, they've been unbeaten so far this season and they're doing really well at the moment. Joel said they're not even out of second gear. They've not. They've not really played well, have they? I can't think of any sort of blinding, like sort of performances that they've had where everyone's just been at it. They've just been quietly going about the business, and I think that's testament to Conte. He's got them comfortable in the system that he's playing now. He's got them comfortable in the formation that they're playing. They're a very, very tough team to beat, and I'm not going to lie. I was dreading playing them on Saturday. They've had a little bit of a curse over us quite recently, Tottenham, and they're a team that I really didn't want to play right now. And you know, obviously the games were called off, so we didn't get to play them, but. They're going to go against Sporting tonight. Like I said, Sporting off um, to a great start in their group game, beating Frankfurt 3-0 away from home. Fantastic result for them. Sporting have got a free hit tonight. I don't think they're expected to do anything and Tottenham will go into the game with plenty of confidence. Said Conte's comfortable at the moment because of the, the squad that he's got. Simple as that. He knows that his squad can go out and if they're at their best tonight and Sporting are at their best, I think Tottenham still come out on top. So, yeah, Tottenham have got a good group there and they're going to want to get out as soon as possible. So I think Conte will want to play strongest available 11, get out the group as soon as possible so they can focus on other things. Two matches tonight in the Champions League, Liverpool, Ajax and Sporting against Spurs. But there are at least two matches that have been called off yesterday in the Premier League that were supposed to take place this weekend. Brighton's game against Palace is off. So too is Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester United against Leeds. We'll tell you why next on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from Sport Social. And on Monday, just another quick reminder, it will be the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II, so there will be no episode of the podcast. And due to that aforementioned funeral, there will be some more Premier League games called off this weekend. Due to policing logistics, obviously there are several events around the Queen's funeral and the accession of King Charles III to the throne, so... Lots of police presence required in and around London. And with that in mind, some of the bigger sporting events in the capital and indeed some of the bigger sporting events in the country have been postponed. The Premier League released a statement late yesterday saying that Chelsea against Liverpool, 
Manchester United against Leeds and uh, Brighton against Palace will all be postponed. Brighton against Palace was already off due to a train strike. That was announced a couple of weeks back. But Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester United Leeds are now off as well. It's unfortunate really, Joel, but when you think about it, there's not a lot that can be done. And as frustrating as it was to have two weekends of football for some fans called off in a row, the safety of supporters, in my opinion, is absolutely paramount. And if the safety can't be guaranteed for the fans, then there is no real other alternative than to call the games off. It's such a precarious situation, this, because it doesn't look like there's a lot of cohesiveness across all of the decisions because you've still got Arsenal against Brentford taking place in London and yet United versus Leeds in the North is the one that can't be played. I understand you probably have to have a little bit more police presence because it's a bit more of a rivalry. Yeah, 75,000 compared to, what was it, 11,000 or 12,000 at Brentford? It's, I think the level um, of category as well will have to come into it as well because United v Leeds is notorious for crowd yeah. trouble. Yes, of course. There's going to be more activity at that game than Arsenal-Brentford, isn't there? Let's be yeah. honest. But then it yeah. just makes it all the more ridiculous how the games in the last weekend has all just been postponed then because now we're Manchester United are going to be in even worse a position because two game weeks getting called off in a season where you've got a World Cup then you've got all the European competitions United will probably be there or thereabouts in the Europa League come the knockout stages I don't really know where they're going to fit two fixtures in now because I think the only gap where all of these fixtures can be played is around late January time just after the FA Cup starts but when you've got two game weeks to actually contend with that makes it a different story entirely so it's going to be difficult for the teams that are going to have two game weeks they're going to be put at a disadvantage to everybody else Um, it doesn't really matter how long they're going to get right now in terms of you know time on the training pitch with the manager which I'm sure is beneficial to them but when you're going to have to contest with potentially four games in the space of 10, ga- 10 days, that's not beneficial to anyone at all. Um, but I don't want to go into the logistics of it. We all talked about it extensively yesterday on Football Social Daily, but it's it's just annoying, to be honest, because when you've got, especially my team, United, who've developed a really good match rhythm, four games on the bounce, which they've won, to then have to stop until after the international break, which is the first game against Manchester City, it's not the most favourable terms, is it? Because then you've got to come up in against a really good team. There's not really been a game that they can continue that run on. It'll feel like they've just come back from pre-season and not seen each other for a long time after three weeks of not playing a game. But, I mean, it's circumstances that are out of the control of all of these teams. And I'm sure, for example, the Chelsea-Liverpool one, that's a glaring one for me, especially for Chelsea, because I'm sure they would have wanted to play Liverpool right now rather than potentially in January, where Liverpool gain some reinforcements, they get Thiago back, they get all of the injured players back, and suddenly they're looking like the former selves. So it's not the best scenario for other clubs, whereas for different clubs, which we can go into, it'll be way less favourable. So... It's just how it feels like that COVID time last year, you know, when it was the end of December and teams were kind of really on a loose end and they were picking and choosing when they wanted to play. It just feels like that where there's just such an unfair competitive advantage going on. But in this occasion, I mean, it's up to the authorities, not up to the, the teams to decide when or when they don't play. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Joel. We did speak about this at length on yesterday's podcast, but we weren't anticipating um, more games being called off this weekend. But, you know, the statement does make sense. And we were trying to figure out where two games will now get 
fit into the schedule. I mean, one game was enough to try and figure out yesterday. We I think we predicted that there's a week in early January where there might be time to squeeze it in somewhere. Um, but two games now for some of these clubs, Matt, uh, with a World Cup coming up and, you know, you think about the amount of European fixtures that need to be played as well. We were kind of chasing our tail at the start of this season anyway because of the knock-on from COVID and, you know, these international tournaments like the Euros and stuff like that. Some of these players, and we talked about Liverpool earlier, looking like they may be burnt out. And Where do you fit two games in now? I mean, you can understand why some of the players are tired. The, the, the level of football and the amount of football has been remarkable over the last couple of years. Yeah, like you and Joel were just saying there, it's, it's a logistical nightmare and this has happened in a season where... It's an unprecedented scenario with a World Cup happening in the winter. So we've got all these games that we're trying to fit in before that anyway. I think the season started a week early to try and, you know, fit that in. So what do you do? Do you extend the season? Do you do you make the season a couple of weeks longer? I don't know. I don't know how it will work. I don't know how the, the FA, the Premier League, I don't know how they're going to do this. But when you've You've got managers like when you've seen Jurgen Klopp go on one of his rants saying they've, they've played too many games and the fixtures are an absolute joke. Like he must be pulling his hair out, do you know what I mean? Because I mean, the situation for him is not great at the moment as it is. But when you've got, like you said, one game being called off is bad enough, but two for some clubs, not obviously not every club it's happened to, but two for some clubs that are contending with European football as well, it's absolute madness. But like you were saying, then boys, it's, it's something that's beyond the powers of you know the football clubs and it's beyond the powers of us as fans it's it's a policing issue it's a government issue it's it's an everything issue and it's just something that we're going to have to they're going to have to deal with at some point and i'm sure they'll come to some sort of logical conclusion of how to sort it out but it's it's a matter of when they do it because the longer they leave it the harder it's going to get i mean the football kicks off after the the world cup in um, on boxing day i believe and like you said, you've got um, the FA Cup at the end, at, in January time that you could sort of try and squeeze it around. But if teams start going on cup runs as well and stuff like that, that's more games for them to play. So, yeah, maybe extending the season by a couple of weeks. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But it, the sooner to sort it out, the better, because it is a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, it means that Chelsea, Liverpool, United, Leeds, Brighton and Palace all won't have Premier League games until after the international break. Because, of course, this weekend is the final round of top flight fixtures. Before we do go to an international break, and as Joel said yesterday on the podcast, because Jim suggested, why don't we just ditch the international break and play them there? There's a World Cup coming up, like Matt's just said. So, you know, they, they kind of have to play international games. And, you know, you wonder whether that will be a benefit in terms of keeping some of the players fresh. But... It will probably bite those clubs further down the line when they might have to be playing three or four games in a week, which is incredible, really, coming to think of it. OK, we'll leave that to one side for now. But just to confirm, just to confirm for you, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United, Leeds and Brighton Palace this weekend in the Premier League are all postponed. Going to talk about transfer news next. Yes, the window is closed, but there's been some free agents floating around that have now touched down in the Premier League. And we'll talk about them next on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Final part of today's podcast. Welcome back to the show and it's time to talk transfer news. You thought the window was shut, didn't you? No, no, no. Players can still sign if they're free agents. And that's exactly what Wolves have done as they've swooped for Diego Costa. The former Chelsea striker has signed terms at Molyneux on a one-year deal. He was a free agent. 
my initial question, Joel, would be, is this a gamble worth taking for Wolverhampton Wanderers? He's not had a club for about seven months. The statistics say he's had more bookings than league goals since he <laughs> left Chelsea. But is he someone who, who could make a difference, do you think? Is, is this a risk worth taking for Wolves? I wouldn't say it's a risk because I don't believe there's going to be a lot of financial outlay involved in something like this because let's not forget, Everyone's looking at Diego Costa on paper and thinking, oh my God, it's the Diego Costa of 2016. It's going to be amazing. Wolves are going to be a different level. I mean, there's a reason why he's not been with a club for nine months, put it that way. He's not been a wanted man after being released by Atletico Mineiro in Brazil. He only played 15 matches for them last year and scored four goals, one assist, which isn't the best return, especially in the Brazilian league. And even after leaving Atletico Madrid in 2021 as well, you know, he didn't have the best return after going back from Chelsea in in four years in, in during his return there. You know, he was getting two goals in 16, five goals in 23. He, he lost his form as soon as that Chelsea spell was over. That was his peak. That was his moment in football. It was almost like the Adriano of Inter Milan type <laughs> period where he had that three or four years of just absolute dominance and then just fell off a cliff. Um, in terms of his form but I, I mean for an option and for the neutral as well I just want to see Diego Costa back in the Premier League I don't care how good he I'm is going or to, I'm going to Molyneux on Saturday <laughs> so I'm really really looking forward oh, really? to it yeah 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 <laughs> honestly like, I, I feel like for a neutral and even for Wolves obviously we had the Wolves uh, 77 Club podcast on our FSD shots yesterday and they had the exact same sentiment I was thinking which is I just want to see Diego Costa clatter into someone I want to see him get around the pitch get up in the faces of Premier League defenders if he scores he scores and if he dies he dies is that kind of mentality and honestly I, I always I wouldn't say loved him because I feel like for all all of us who were fans of opposition against him especially Arsenal fans he's not a player who they look fondly upon um, just because he was a player who really incited some rage in the defenders I always remember him versus David Luiz even though the Brazilian teammates they absolutely despised each other on the pitch um, and him against Koscielny and Coquelin I always remember those battles with them at Stamford Bridge uh, but I feel like I feel like he'll just add a real nice lift to Wolves not that they need it but he has a great deal of experience. There's a massive Portuguese contingent in Wolves, so he should be at home straight away. Obviously, he's a Portuguese speaker. And I don't think Wolves fans are expecting, you know, 15 goals this season. But I think they're expecting some fight. And I think they're expecting a player who will give it all on the pitch for them. And we've seen that many times. I think my prediction is he'll get more yellow cards than goals this season. But I think it'll be a really nice spectacle, not only for the Wolves fans, but just for Premier League fans, because everyone remembers him enjoying his Chelsea days as just being an absolute warrior on the pitch, who was not afraid to put his foot in his head where people wouldn't put the feet. So it's going to be an interesting return. And Matt, I think you're going to have a really good uh, viewership when you're at Molyneux. Oh, I think it's going to be a wait. really good return that against uh, Diaz and whoever else wants to fear him next to him. Yeah, I mean, I'm just smiling talking about this. And like you say, Joel, we're not expecting him to come and score a bucket load of goals because as much as he was integral to Antonio Conte's Chelsea title winning side playing through the middle he was never someone who would score 25 goals a season like Harry Kane or Salah but he was someone who added something different and is his reputation Matt as important as his output because like we say we're all chuckling about what he's going to bring to the table at the weekend he adds that aggression to the team doesn't he so even if he's not scoring goals 
he will certainly give defenders something to think about and they'll they'll be sat there thinking oh, I don't really want to come up against Diego Costa this weekend yeah he's he's, he's the typical pantomime villain like I I know for a fact if I was a Premier League centre-half and I was playing against Wolves and I looked at the team sheet and I seen Diego Costa playing up front my first thoughts would be oh shit. <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot be bothered with this one today. This is going to be a long day at the office. Like you said, he's not hes not exactly quick. He's not exactly sort of fleet of foot. He's 33, but he's just got that air of just, just complete I was real about yeah. him, man. And he will do everything to wind you up. He'll do everything to make your life a living hell. And he can create space for other players, let's be real. He'll, he'll drag players towards him and he'll create space for Wolves' more, you know, quicker players, more flair players. So he will add something different to the Premier League, not only to Wolves as well. And it's good to have him back because the Premier League does need more of these characters. These Because I know for a fact now, like I, I watch any kind of football anyway, but if Wolves are playing and Diego Costa starting up front, I'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to watch this. You know what I mean? Just, just for him, just for him as a draw because of what he's brought to the Premier League in the past. Like Joel was mentioning about the, the battles that he's had in the past. And yeah, he's, he's, it's just good to have him back. And um, like I said, he'll probably get more bookings and goals, but he may surprise a few people. We'll see. Yeah, looking forward to seeing him in action this weekend. He's signed for Wolves on a one-year deal. And the reason Wolves have gone through with this this contract with Diego Costa is because sadly Sasha Kalancic has got a long-term injury and he's going to be out until next year. He was a new signing for them, but he's never really had a chance to show what he can do. So a fresh face, albeit a familiar one, in Diego Costa, who's back in the Premier League. And so too is goalkeeper Loris Carius, the former Liverpool stopper, is now at Newcastle. He signed a short-term deal only for a couple of months. It will keep him at the club until January. He comes in as a second-choice goalkeeper, Joel, behind Nick Pope until Carl Darlow recovers from an ankle injury. But when you think of Loris Carriers, sadly for him, all anyone can ever seem to mention or think about is the UEFA Champions League final against Real Madrid, where he had an absolute nightmare and let in a couple of howlers that he shouldn't have let in. And that seems to have dictated his career. So how damaging do you think that's been to him over the years? Well, I was just looking in our FSD Telegram group, which is open to anyone to join. A lot of football fans in there giving their opinions and we asked everyone what everyone thought of Loris Curry, uh, Car- Carrius coming back to the Premier League. And the first comment was, Poppadom hands. So <laughs> that's the that's the kind of lasting image I think everyone has of Carrius, unfortunately. And I think when I think of him, it is purely based on that Champions League final, which if we're going to be honest, he cost Liverpool a title. Um, rolling out to Benzema to make it one all. And then obviously Gareth Bale's long distance effort, which he should have saved, went straight into the back of the net. It wasn't the best game for him, and that basically signed and sealed his Liverpool career, didn't it? Really, which was, it was. I'm sure it was tough on him because he really got outcasted after that and very much scapegoated, which must have been difficult mentally. But I'm sure he has a massive point to prove. I know he went straight into um, into the Turkish league after after Liverpool and tried to regain some kind of reputation, but it still didn't happen for him. But I think for Newcastle fans, honestly, if Nick Pope gets an injury, it could turn very, very messy in terms of their options because I still wouldn't have a massive amount of faith in him to actually come in and, you know, guard the goal for an, a month if anything ever happened to Pope because... Dubravka, even though he's gone to Manchester United, I feel like it was a brave move for Newcastle to do that because even still, 
he was a very strong and stable keeper where even if Pope got injured, he would come in and still be very confident to actually do a job. Whereas Carius, I'm still not convinced. And again, there's a reason why no Premier League clubs have touched him or clubs of any decent European calibre have touched him. So I'm sure on one hand, he'll have a massive point to prove. On the other hand, he probably won't be needed as much. But as we've seen, you know, there's a lot of fixture congestion and I'd be surprised if he isn't used. So it's going to be interesting to see just how he reacts coming back. But I think when you have players with fires in the belly who have been outcasted from the Premier League and come back with a narrative around them, I think it is sometimes a good thing to have those kind of players in your squad. So good luck to him because I think he needs it based on the last showing that I've seen. Yeah, short-term contract for him, only a couple of months at St. James's Park until January, but there is an option to extend that. Carl Darlow, I think, has gone over on his ankle, so uh, he'll come in as second choice behind Nick Pope, who, as Joel says, hasn't been completely injury-free over the years, so we might see Loris Carius get a couple of games, if not um, in the cup games, if there are any for Newcastle uh, before January, which there'll probably only be one or two, so we'll be looking out for him, see how he gets on. Uh, And as he says as well, you can join our telegram group which is pinned to the top of our football social daily twitter feed which is at fsd pod so go to our twitter page and you can find the pin tweet there which gives you the link to our telegram group it is effectively a group chat where we share all of our football opinions ones we discuss on the podcast there's lots of good stuff and uh, it's a good crack in general so make sure you join that group by clicking the link on the pinned twitter post uh, we'll be also posting more about that throughout the course of the next few weeks so get involved on telegram now, the final one we're going to talk about on today's show is that, according to The Athletic, Angolo Conte, the France midfielder who plays for Chelsea, has refused a new two-year contract at Stamford Bridge. I've been scratching my head right throughout the last 45 minutes of the show, Matt, thinking, is this a surprise or not that Angolo Conte's refused a new two-year contract? It doesn't seem like something that Conte would do, refuse a deal, but... He's not really been in full favour under Thomas Tuchel, who's now been sacked, of course, but he's not been at his brilliant best over the last 18 months or so. So what do you make of this? I mean, when you think of N'Golo Kante, you think of one of the most consistently performing Premier League midfielders since he's been in the competition when he signed for Leicester in um, 2015. And when you think about what he's done since he's been in the Premier League, he won the Premier League with Leicester in his first ever season. He was a massive part of that title-winning team. I don't think without him... I don't think they could have done it. It was like two players in one position, Kante. He was absolutely all over the pitch. And he's gone to Chelsea and he's won pretty much everything he could ever win there, hasn't he? He's gone there and he's he's won pretty much every trophy available to him. So and he's been there like six years now, just over six years. So maybe he's just he just wants to go and seek a new challenge. I mean he's not getting any younger, he's thirty one years old. We all know as Premier League midfielders they need the legs and the older they get, the less the legs are gonna be there. So maybe he just wants to go and seek pastures new in a, in a different country in a different environment and um and go and be happy because ultimately i mean when you when you when you look at Ngolo Kanti, he's always got a big smile on his face he's always just one of these players that just brings joy to you when even if you're an opposition player watching him i've seen him play against city numerous times and i just think you know what a player he is to watch you can see him just having so much fun he loves every single moment of it and maybe he's just had enough at chelsea and from a Chelsea point of view, that's obviously it's devastating. But at the end of the day, it's the player. If the player's not happy of where he is and he just wants to go and seek other challenges, then the club can't really stand in the way. And like you said, he was um, not in favour under Tuchel. I mean, there's Graham Potter in charge now. Maybe thing, things will change there, but we'll see. He's, like I said, if he's, refu- if he's refused the deal, I'm sure, obviously, Chelsea fans will be upset. But 
they've got to respect the player's decision at the end of the day. Um, any manager would not want a player in that squad that doesn't want to be there because that will affect morale amongst other players and ultimately it's it's down to the player's career and what they want to do with their career. And like I said, he's achieved pretty much everything he can possibly achieve over in England now and maybe he just wants to go and seek another challenge elsewhere. Yeah, I think with N'Golo Conte as well, he's someone who certainly plays for the joy of the game and we talk about how money dictates football. It doesn't seem to be the case in his life. He still drives around a mini with a battered side door by the sounds of things. Um, just randomly turns up to fans' weddings. <laughs> he just seems like a guy who, who's quite happy with, with what he's got. But with Graham Potter coming in, Joel, do you think that he might have an influence in trying to keep N'Golo Conte at the club and rediscovering that form? Because... You know, he isn't the same player as he was a couple of years ago, whether that's down to falling out of favour, whether that's down to him not being able to stay fit. There are many different reasons for that. But we know with Graham Potter and what he's done at Brighton, that a holding midfield player or a box-to-box midfield player, which Kante can do either, is really important to the way Graham Potter plays. And he's got one of the best to do it in the last five or six years in his squad. Well, there's a few issues with this situation because one, which is what Matt said, is that Kante relies on his legs he's an engine in midfield and he needs to be able to get from box to box and that's what his game's been for the last six seven years but Chelsea must be looking at this especially with his injury record in the previous year or two and thinking we can't give you a pay rise to the level that his agent's wanting and a contract length to the level that his agent's wanting because it just doesn't make any business sense if you're not going to get a player playing, you know, 60, 70% of games a season and he's going to be one of your highest earners, why would you pay him that amount? It doesn't make any sense to me. I think one of the main issues is it with it is basically the contract length. I think I've seen that they've been wanting a three-year contract plus the extension of a further year, but I wouldn't trust him to be anywhere near the form that he's reached come that second or third year in the contract. And when you're paying him that amount of money, it's going to be difficult. I'm sure that without these injuries, he would be one of the first names on the team sheet for sure. But this is the reality of the situation, which is that he's not available for the team. And that's going to be a difficulty for Graham Potter because when we've watched his Brighton team, his midfield is one of the most important parts of his side. You need to have engines in there. You need to have a lot of energy. And if he's not available and he's going to end up dipping into the market for someone else, it could spell the end for Kante. So it's going to be an interesting way to see how this all pans out. But in my opinion, if Kante can stay fit, he will be part of Graham Potter's plans for sure. But if he can't stay fit this season, I think this is going to be the proof of the pudding kind of season where if Chelsea's board and Potter can't see that he can stay fit, I don't think they'll offer him a new contract. I think they'll probably think it's probably time to move on to someone younger and start developing the midfield again because let's not forget, Jorginho, compared to that Ballon d'Or, I think he finished third place a couple of seasons ago during the um, the European Championships win. He's not the same player that he was then and they're going to need to start easing him out, I think, in the next year or so. So I think there's going to be a lot of switching and changing in that position. And I think it might even be beneficial that they end up letting him go. But I think, like I say, they'll prefer to keep him only on their terms, though. So it's going to be a little bit of a um, a standoff in terms of who can blink first and who can give in to their demands, because I think that's what it is right now. 
let's say he doesn't sign a new deal and ends up leaving Chelsea, Matt. Do you think that that will be the end of his time in the Premier League? Or do you think that there will be other clubs that might try and pick him up? Or maybe he will just return to France and, and get a contract over there? First um, name of a club that comes out to me is PSG. I think mm. PSG would come straight in for him. Obviously, he's like I said, he's won a World Cup with France. He's won everything he possibly can in England. And you know what a PS what the PSG want. PSG want that winning mentality. PSG want winners in that side. And look, no disrespect to the French league, it's nowhere near it. the Premier League in terms of quality. It would be nice for him to go there. He'd probably get the money that he wanted. We've, I know we've said that he's not about money and Golo Conte and he, he drives a beat-up mini and stuff like that, but he'd go and get a nice big contract there and he'd be in his native France, he'd be in the wonderful city of Paris and he'd be in the Champions League as well still, which is something else that he'll want to go and do. So, yeah, that that'd be that'd be my, my first thought. I don't think he, he's, he's got anything left to prove now in the Premier League. Well, obviously, maybe maybe Leicester, maybe Leicester put a cheeky bid in for him and get him back over there, you know, for a bit of nostalgia. But no, the first thing that I the, the first thing that I think of is PSG. PSG would be an ideal fit for him over there. I said it's back in France. It's a winning mentality. It's you know he's a, he's a winner. That'd be the first thought that I think. Yeah, I mean he's from Paris, isn't he? And he still gets in the France team, doesn't he? He still gets selected um, in the France midfield. And with the World Cup coming up, I wonder whether that might be the rejuvenation of N'Golo Conte and you know the season is still very much going ahead after the World Cup finishes and will that persuade Chelsea to to keep him on I mean there's so many factors still at play here it is not like a normal season as we've been saying but that brings us to the end of today's episode of Football Social Daily appreciate you listening as ever don't forget if you hit subscribe that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again we also release shorter podcasts every day now throughout the season called Shots which rounds up all of the Premier League news in an afternoon that you might have missed for instance yesterday we managed to bring you the news that the matches between Chelsea and Liverpool and Manchester United and Leeds were postponed so if you had listened to you would have known that before coming into today's podcast so if you hit subscribe that way you won't miss that for all of the latest news in the top flight but from us today myself matt and joel that is it and we'll speak to you again tomorrow on football social daily see you there football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk